0: Hi, it's Julia, and welcome to episode three of The Lonely Hour's second season. Before getting into today's story, I want to talk about the artwork for this season. Peyton Turner is a friend of mine and an illustrator of people, of cats, and of household items and other things she likes to call stuff. Not only did she create our logo, but she's also making original artworks for each episode of this season. Here she is discussing that process.
1: I think laughing in the dark is actually the main mechanism or metaphor that I often use in my own life when dealing with unpleasant issues or difficult issues, including my feelings of aloneness and loneliness. So I I typically seek to illuminate dark topics with a respectful lightheartedness. I do think that empathy and strength can be found and cultivated when using gentle humor, especially in drawings. The Lonely Hour logo design itself features a woman walking alone on a sidewalk with street lamps above her and the title of the podcast in front of her to her side. She's walking in the light towards and alongside the title with darkness falling only behind her. The text itself is my own handwriting And I kind of imagined that the character inside the logo who wrote it alongside the street lamps did so really, really quickly and with some emotion, almost like a secret or a sudden thought recorded for everyone to see. I try to keep a looseness to all elements in each drawing for The Lonely Hour, and the logo is definitely no exception to that. I think that helps refer the viewer back towards feeling a little bit of that respectful lightheartedness that I mentioned earlier. I take loneliness quite seriously and am actually naturally a bit of a loner myself. I grew up feeling quite lonely and very out of place, but um, actually through this work and through listening to The Lonely Hour and obviously just existing as a human in this world, a sensitive human, I understand and know that those feelings of loneliness and aloneness are basic to the human condition, and they're something we all share. There's something that's actually immensely comforting about it.
0: Now, let's get into our main story. Here's a clip from my interview with a woman named Samantha Silva, that does a much better job of setting up this topic than I ever could do sitting alone at a mic
2: in this listening booth. I think it would be called. This is the memoir of a lying, cheating, wretched bitch, horror of a woman who annihilated the universe as we knew it.
0: So why do that to yourself? Tell me. To, 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 to tell. Explain.
2: Well, five years ago, after twenty-three years with my husband, and in the middle of raising three children. I fell in love with a man who was a good friend of ours, a very close friend of my husband's and the husband of my close friend. It was a spectacular betrayal. We live in a small enough city that these were two very public marriages, a long mutual friendship, a close-knit community of friends and five kids between us. I was told it was like I'd dropped a bomb in the middle of two families and left everyone running for their lives. When you find yourself in this position quite unexpectedly, you know, I discovered there are hundreds of books and articles about how to survive infidelity, how to rebuild your marriage and remake your life when a spouse cheats, but there's nothing, there's no guidebook at all for the unfaithful, for the person who actually cheats and decides to leave. So, after much thought, I thought mine should be called This is the Memoir of a Lying, Cheating, Wretched Bitch Whore of a Woman Who Annihilated the Universe as We Knew It.
0: Is it easier to leave or to be left? It's an ongoing debate, one that has no real end because every partnership is so unique. There's a kind of loneliness that comes with being broken up with, and there's another kind of loneliness that comes with being so unhappy in a relationship that you end it. Samantha's story is
2: about the loneliness of the lever. It was a big a big life and a rich life. It was intellectually compelling, it was socially layered and interesting. It was a grand adventure and a fierce a fierce love and we love our three children very much, but Some marriages are also a blood sport. And I think that that if you're not paying attention all the time, that a marriage can become a catalog of hurts and insults and injuries. And if you don't fix them, they build up and become scar tissue. And I think eventually that scar tissue becomes armor. And it's very hard to love or feel loved you know when you're wearing a metal carapace and so you know when you're wearing armor like that in a relationship in a marriage it's it is lonely on the inside i mean i didn't see myself really as someone who would leave um ever maybe ever i thought you know these are the compromises you make you have an intellectually really challenging relationship, a big life, a grand adventure, wonderful friends, three children you both adore. And so you make deals with yourself and you decide, well, you know, I can live without intimacy. I can live without tenderness, the kind of tenderness that I long for. I can live without certain things. Um because I have all these other wonderful things but you know lo and behold there comes a moment when you see that those things are on offer and are available to you and that is really compelling and very hard to walk away from I had forgotten that that real intimacy was possible that unguarded intimacy was possible and tenderness g- g- generosity of spirit it wasn't there was nothing competitive in it there was nothing challenging in it it was love for free like there are no demands here there there is only only giving and i think that in my marriage, I had, there was a lot of negotiating all the time, negotiating about giving and taking and what one person needed, what we were getting or not getting. And here was a relationship where there was no negotiating about the most fundamental human need, I think, which is a need for closeness and love and tenderness and to be, to be seen.
0: Of course, Samantha anticipated that ending her marriage would be difficult. But she decided that staying in it was ultimately more so. What surprised her, even though she lives in a small, tightly-knit community in the Midwest, was the degree to which she was shunned. Yes, her marriage was a high-profile one. Yes, she and her now ex-husband have children together. And what's more, the two couples involved in this scenario were longtime friends. But people who Samantha had thought were her people straight-up rejected her. My friends love me warts and all, so to speak. Samantha thought hers did too.
2: What I didn't anticipate at all was the kind of public shunning that I experienced. People averting their eyes in the grocery store, crossing the street to avoid me not answering my emails and phone calls, like completely ghosting me, unfriending me, even abandoning games of Words with Friends mid-game and never playing with me again, telling lies about me, telling things, saying things that are false, spreading rumors. Um, In fact, a man just this summer, five years later, whom I've met once or twice and doesn't know me from Eve, called me a fat bitch and a worn-out whore who'd just attached herself to one man after another and never achieved anything in her own right. And this is five years on. The hardest thing was that people that I've known and loved for more than 20 years and who I really believed loved me back turned away, turned completely away from me. And some of them have never spoken to me again. My husband even told me that my life would shrink to the size of a postage stamp and that at that point, I'd realize I'd made the biggest mistake of my life, and I realized, God, I'm living the Scarlet Letter. This is this is the Scarlet Letter exactly. This is I'm my best friend told me, "Well, you're just a pimped up postmodern Hester Prynne," and it was it was really stunning to me. I knew it was meant to be punishing and isolating and in some ways it was meant you know it was meant to annihilate me to cast me out to make me a pariah to remove me from the social fabric so that I was no longer a threat to it and it was very effective it was hard it was hard to live in a place that I'd loved among people that I'd known and loved
0: how are you a threat to the social fabric what what, what do you mean by that or how, how do you th- how did people feel that you were?
2: My partner and I consider ourselves equals in this decision. We made the decision together. We made it separately. We each made an independent decision about our marriages. We chose to be together. Neither of us is more responsible than the other. But he would say as well that that I bore the the brunt of are, you know, transgression, a sin, that I bore the brunt of it. And I think the woman o- often does. A woman who exercises agency in her own life is very threatening to people. The woman, the mother, is supposed to hold it all together. That's the commitment the mother makes. And I didn't, of course, I didn't walk away from my children. I never would. But I walked away from the family unit. And that was perceived as a grave transgression and something that women just aren't allowed to do. Um, I think it's a throwback. I think it's an, it's an anachronism, but it still exists. It's insidious. And that I think that feeling about women is true. Women, it's really the woman's fault. I think it's threatening for people to look at the fragility of their own... Marriages, and I understand that everyone operates in the end out of their own fear and anxiety. Some people are just flat out moralists, and those are the people honestly I trust the least who can't live at all in the gray area, who can't live with paradox but um, but I think mostly people afraid. And, and the commitments that we make, even commitments we make to one other person in a marriage, when you have a long life together, the commitment almost becomes a social contract with everyone who's part of your life. And so I, I think that people felt that I had betrayed not just my husband, not just my friend, but my community, that I'd betrayed the social contract that I'd made with all of them. Yeah.
0: What do you say to that? I mean, and who who is still... With you?
2: Of course, of course, not everyone left. And we called them the lovers and the haters at the time. And the lovers were the people who said, look, no one knows what goes on inside of a marriage. Your happiness is important. Everyone deserves to be happy. You'll be okay. Your children will be okay. And the other people were people who could not contain it, couldn't accept it, couldn't bear it We're afraid of it I don't know because I can't if I if I if I label them I'm judging them as well and what I reject is being judged by people who don't know what the inky deeps of your life are people ask me well why why didn't you just leave town and and reinvent yourself and reinvent your life and I thought well but this is my life this is who I am why should I leave? I, I own my decision. I own my transgression. I also own my decision. I leaned toward the life. I leaned toward love. I'm still here. I'm not running away. You can, you can cast me out, but I'm not leaving. The life we build with a partner or without is a life that's designed, that's constructed so you won't be lonely, so you have your people. And suddenly, that was it was like that was the scaffolding of my life and it was just and it just fell apart and not having it anymore i was really confronted with well was that an illusion then was that never real if these people i thought loved me unconditionally if they turned away from me did they ever really love me and was that a false construction was my whole life a false construction It was Orson Welles who said, a man is born alone, he lives alone and dies alone, and it's only love and friendship that creates the illusion that we're not alone. And that was my illusion, and suddenly it was gone, and it was a startling revelation. I remember feeling, I remember moments of feeling so shaken by that, that I didn't know whether my own self without those constructs without the construct of my outer life and my community of people and friends whether the self would survive intact was i only a projection of what they believed i was and now that i wasn't that anymore was i something else and i really thought this is this is the problem this is this is the loneliness of the social pariah because if the shunning is meant to destroy you, really, to isolate you and punish you, um, will, it, will it destroy me? Or is there some kind of inner strength, that there's some inner self that exists completely apart from the constructs of my outer life?
0: So it's like, does, does the self, you know, have enough integrity that, that, you know, you can stand alone without that social fabric
2: you had before? Is that- yes, Exactly. Exactly. But you do, you put one step in front of the other, and you go to the grocery store knowing that people are going to avert their gaze. You go to the YMCA knowing that people won't say hello to you and won't look you in the eye. You still go to the movies. You still do all the things you did before. And I did, and I held my head high, and I sort of had to believe, look, you can't take me down. You can turn away from me, you can reject me, and I'm lonely in some ways. I miss the thing that I had with you before when I was when I lived in another life, but this is who I am, this is part of who I am, and if you can't love me all the way, all the way down for who I am, then probably we are better off without each other, and I'll rebuild my life, I'll remake my life without you, and... And that's what I've done.
0: Has your world narrowed in a sense, but but gotten stronger or? I
2: think my life is inevitably smaller in some ways, but in other ways is infinitely expanded. And at least I know that the things that remain, that are part of the construction of my life and myself, are true and real things. Mm. How has it expanded? I think being loved and feeling loved and feeling seen and appreciated makes the heart lighter, makes the heart sing and grow. And it's actually helped me in some ways have more compassion for the people who had to turn away from me. They They made the only choice they knew how to make and i think being feeling loved in the way i do actually makes me more capable of of loving other people and not judging them
0: Thanks for listening everybody. Do you have strong thoughts about this episode? Questions for Samantha? Email me them at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at lonelypodcast, and we're also on Facebook at the lonely hour. Sign up for our newsletter at thelonelyhour.com and you'll be the first to know when the next episode drops. Until then, I want to know what loneliness means to you. Leave me a voicemail at 415-663-5901. That's 41 lonely 01. And you can also record your thoughts as a voice memo and email me the mp3 file at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Just make sure to include your name and an email address so I can get back to you because I might want to use what you say in a future episode. Otherwise, enjoy yourself.